Amen. Wow, aren't you glad you came to church today? Aren't you glad you joined online? We're so glad that you are here in the room, and we're so glad that you found us online. Uh, It is just awesome to be in the room when you hear the the choir. You're the choir. (laughs) You hear the choir lifting up the name of Jesus and singing praise, and and, uh, that was powerful. Thank you, Michael, and your team for leading us in worship this morning. Um, if you're joining us on Facebook, we say hello. And if you're joining us on YouTube, we say hello. And if you didn't know you can join us on YouTube, that's relatively new. Um, it's really handy if you have a smart TV or you don't have a YouTube account. You're now able, or I'm sorry, you don't have a Facebook account. You're now able to just search for Linwood Wesleyan Church. Go ahead and click subscribe once you do. Um, And our services come up live at 1030 on Sunday now. And so that might be a handy way uh, for you to keep up with us and uh, and stay up with us. Um, We're finishing up our series titled Weeping Well. And uh, man, this has been a rich, rich time these last couple of weeks. And uh, it has been a wonderful study. Um, I'm I'm excited to be wrapping it up today and moving on. I'm excited for the next series. Uh, it's going to be a series titled The You Next to You. The You Next to You. And uh, we'll, we'll spend four or five weeks in this subject about how uh, the big idea is that the Christianity is about you until you become a Christian. <laughs> and then it becomes about the you next to you. It comes about the world around you. And how do we reach people? for Christ. And so I'm excited to get into that with you. Uh, Real quick, Ben, I'm in the monitors up here, and um, I want them to hear me, but I don't want to hear me if if it's possible to do anything about that. Thank you. Uh, So so we're talking about weeping well. We're talking about grief. We're talking about suffering. We're talking about some of these really, really big, important emotions of the heart. And what we do with those really matters. And so that's why this series uh, has been an important series for us, because it helps us to, to grieve and to lament well. As I mentioned in the first week of this series, over a third of the Psalms, which the Psalms are man talking to God. Most of the Bible is God talking to man. But the Psalms are man talking to God and dealing with the full range of human emotion. And a third of those are what we would call laments where we're lamenting something, or the, the writer is lamenting something. And uh, we have to get this right. We have to learn to lament. We have to weep well, because if we don't, then we'll take every negative emotion and we'll either stuff it away and pretend it doesn't exist, or we'll maximize it and we'll be angry and we'll be frustrated all the time. But if we can find a middle ground where we're on authentic relationship with God and we learn to leap, to weep well, then we will be blessed. And so I've been coming across quotes. I don't know if it's like when I bought a white Chevy Corsica in college. Suddenly I saw white Chevy Corsicas everywhere. I hadn't seen them before. I do think there were about 20 million of those made and they only really had two colors and I don't remember what the other one was. Um, but suddenly I saw them everywhere, and before I hadn't. So I don't know if it's just that I'm preaching on this subject and so I keep seeing quotes, or if God is giving me extra sermon fodder through social media and other things that I'm seeing. But I came across this quote just this past week, um, and it says this. It says, loss, by definition, is a lessening, a reduction, a removal. 
Taking time to mourn what has been lost is an exercise in honesty, and honesty is a friend of intimacy with God. And it, this quote encaptured what we're really talking about. It's, it's being honest with our negative emotions before God and growing in and developing deeper intimacy with God through that honesty, that when something happens, when there's a loss, when there's a regression, when there's a removal, and we can be honest with that, then it grows our intimacy with God instead of pushing that to the side or pretending it doesn't exist. And so I was thinking about that, and my mind went to what maybe where many of your minds have gone. Uh, if you haven't experienced a deep personal loss of a loved one or of a job or of a marriage in the last year, maybe your mind goes to March and April of this year, which is where my mind went. Uh, I remember having a conversation with my Christian counselor at the beginning of March, and at the end of that conversation, she said, Mark, I think you sound like things are going as good for you as they have in the last 10 years that we've been together talking and, and regularly interacting. And I said, I think you're right. I totally agree. I had a one-week personal spiritual retreat planned at one of my favorite places in the whole world. I had a discipleship conference coming up in the near term. I had a visit with my pastor that led me to the Lord and called me into ministry, and we were going to catch a Cubs game together. And all of this was happening in the next couple of months by the end of May. And then we had different ideas in mind for summer vacations that we were starting to talk about. And within seven days... Every single one of those was off the table. And I kind of went into crisis mode and pushed hard and got through Easter. And I started to crack right after Easter. And I didn't have something to push for. And I felt myself going down into into depression. I, I could feel it coming on. I was like, I can't do this. And I felt like God really showed me that I could be honest with what was lost. I could grieve those losses. And then... And that intimacy that followed in being real and being honest and not pretending that they didn't exist but mourning those losses was able to to come out and to say, okay, what do I still have? What can I still do? Where can I lean into and find what I'm looking for, which is that deeper intimacy with God? And I would say that the second half of April and all of May uh, were really, really powerful time of fellowship with God and growing with God. And it, it leads me to a second quote that I saw this week from Dr. Henry Cloud, who's one of my favorite Christian authors. He writes this. He says, life is not about avoiding suffering. You will fail. <laughs> suffering is promised. Life is about learning to suffer well. I thought, man, that's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about, taking the suffering and learning how to deal with it in a way that brings us closer to God, that makes us stronger that enables us to be his people in his world, advancing his kingdom in the midst of suffering. And so as we've been talking about this, this whole series, the Psalms teach us how to do this. They teach us how to weep well. They teach us how to lament well. They teach us how to pray our feelings, whether those are positive feelings and we have praise and thanksgiving and celebration, and there are many Psalms that are focused on praise and thanksgiving and celebration, or... Maybe our feelings are more negative and there's sorrow and there's grief or even anger and frustration. And the Psalms teach us how to pray those feelings, to not minimize them and pretend they don't exist, but also to not maximize them and to, to, 
to overfeel. They help us to right-size our emotions, our pain, our problems, because both bowing to them and pretending they don't exist or stuffing them away are dangerous and healthy. God wants us to be healthy, so he teaches us through the Psalms how to pray our feelings. And that's what this series is all about. We've talked about three things that we do with our tears or with our suffering. We expect our tears, we invest our tears, and we pray our tears. So in week one, we talked about this idea is we expect tears because Jesus promised them. And Jesus lived a life of sorrow in many, many ways that we should expect as we grow in grace, we should expect to weep more not less. As we are heartbroken over the sin of the world, as we are heartbroken over the fallenness of this world, that we should expect to weep more, not less. Scripture tells us that Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and he has promised that we will be have, have troubles in this world. We will be acquainted with grief in this world. And it struck me this week that Jesus was often sorrowful. There's only one time in the Gospels that he was angry. Did you ever notice that? The only time he was angry was when he's confronting self-righteousness in the, in the scribes and the Pharisees and the ways in which they either overburdened the people who are authentically seeking God or were trying to profit off of those who are authentically coming to God. That was the only thing he got angry about. And I look at how quickly and how easily and how often Christians are angry about other things. And I wonder if it's because we have not learned to weep well. We have not learned to lament, and so we feel like our only option is either silence or anger. And let me tell you, there is another option. There is a way to authentically grieve and mourn what is wrong in this world without becoming angry and without becoming apathetic. And Jesus modeled it for us in the Gospels, and the Psalms teach us how. And so that's why we've been focusing on that this week. Because week two, we talked about investing our tears. If you don't expect them and you pretend they don't exist or you just go to anger or apathy, you don't actually experience the grief that you need to experience. If you, you don't do that, then you can't invest your tears. And if you invest your tears, our bottom line was that weeping well turns our sorrow into joy. If we can expect and, and feel and deal with these negative emotions of grief and sorrow and pain without becoming angry or apathetic, then we can invest them into the kingdom of God and God can turn our sorrow into joy. God can turn our sorrow into joy when we learn to weep well. This whole big room, there's a fly that has chosen this little, so if you see me waving and doing different things, and t- I'm not giving signs to the third baseman, I am trying to get this fly out of my ear. So, my apologies, especially if you're online, you're like, what is he doing? Trust me. And there it is. I would do the little fly ninja thing, but it would probably go bad. All right, so, we're, we're not going to let this little thing, <laughs> this little thing, I'm like, I just saw a pastor talking about this this week, and he was talking online, and he's like, this is going out all over the world. Like, people are watching across the community in other states, and a little fly that lays less than a thousandth of an ounce is getting in the way of it. It's like, get behind me, Satan. You have no place in this. No more distraction. We're not going to give that any more time. Okay. So we're talking about praying our tears today. 
We're talking about learning to pray, to pray our tears. And we do this in three ways. And so if you are not a note taker, I would encourage you to maybe get out a piece of paper. There are pads in the seats in front of you. If you're watching online, you can open up a notepad on your, on your device. You can get out a piece of paper. You may want to write these three things down, and you may want to make some notes because we're going to talk about a lot of different scriptures today, and you may want to jot those scriptures down and come back to them and review them because I'm going to have to move pretty quickly. I already gave 30 seconds to the fly. Um, so there's three ways that we pray our tears. The first is a realization of his grace. We pray our tears in a realization of his grace. Second, we pray our tears with a vision of the cross. And third, in an assurance of his glory. So let's take each of those uh, one at a time and really understand what we're talking about. And I think I mentioned it at the beginning, but if I didn't, uh, I owe a lot of credit to a Tim Keller sermon that I heard uh, that this whole series was kind of rooted in. And this was the one message that I was like, I could do a whole message just on that little section. And so that's what we're doing today. We pray our tears in a realization of His grace, of God's grace. We expect our tears in a realization of God's grace, and we invest our tears in a realization of God's grace. Because we have to realize that God understands our weeping, that we can bring that part of us to Him as well. A third of the Psalms are laments for a reason. God wants to hear the cries of our heart. God wants to hear and be in the midst of that. He wants us to be honest with those things because it builds intimacy with Him when we're honest about our tears. And so we realize that he understands them, he expects them, and he wants to see an investment take place. He wants us to be able to sow those tears so that we can reap from his kingdom. And so I want to encourage you that it is safe. It is safe to pour out your heart to him, the good and the bad, from the mountaintop and from the valley, when it's all sunshine and roses and when it is storm clouds and difficulties. He wants to be a part of all of it. And one of the places that I think we can see this the most clearly, and it might sound a little odd at first when we look at these verses, but it's Psalm 39, verses 12 and 13. If you haven't turned there in a Bible, I would encourage you to do so. Psalm 39 is an individual lament. Uh, It's a psalm written by David about a sin in his life and about a difficulty that he was going through. And he doesn't get specific, but I think it's interesting that the king of Israel wrote a song and gave it to the choir master and said, here, we need to sing this. That's an authentic leadership, is it not? And he's dealing with this, and the psalm kind of goes back and forth, and he's recognizing maybe some discipline or at least the negative consequences of the choices that he has made. And he comes down to the end of it in 12 and 13, and and you just kind of see he's either very overwhelmed or he understands something, or maybe it's a combination of the two. He says in verse 12, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry for help. Be not deaf to my weeping. For I dwell with you as an alien, a stranger, as all my fathers were. Then he says something really odd that's puzzled me for a long time. Look away from me that I may rejoice again before I depart and am no more. Does that make sense to you? I think it illustrates a really powerful concept about our prayers and about praying our tears in a realization of his grace. Because he basically says in verse 12, hear my prayer, Lord. And in verse 13, turn away, Lord, look away from me. 
And some scholars have speculated that maybe he was just saying, turn your angry gaze away. God, maybe you're angry about my sin, so turn that angry gaze away so that I can rejoice again. But I think it's a better explanation to say that he's just totally overwhelmed and distraught. And he can't handle the emotions, but he's still in relationship with God. And he's saying, you hear me, but look away from me. He's so ashamed. And it reminds me of Peter when Jesus calls Peter in Luke chapter 5. And Peter just hits, the, his, he hits his knees on the ground and he says, depart from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. He's overwhelmed with the emotion. He doesn't really know what he's saying. And thank goodness Jesus didn't say, all right, Peter, I'm out and take off. He didn't do that, did he? No, he stayed in relationship with Peter and called Peter. And Peter became the leader of the church after Jesus' death. And one scholar, I think, nails this on the head, and he's speaking about Psalm 39, verse 13 specifically. And he says, the presence of such prayers in the scriptures is a witness to God's understanding. He knows how we speak when we are desperate. He knows how we speak when we are overwhelmed. He knows how we speak when we are overwhelmed with grief, when we are overwhelmed with guilt or with shame, and he does what is best for us, not just what we ask him to do. And so I had to relate this to a time or two uh, when my children were young. They weren't excited with the things that were happening to them on my behalf. (laughs) They weren't excited about the, maybe the discipline that they were getting, or they weren't excited about the consequences. And they would say something like, go away, dad, I never want to see you again. It's hard to imagine, unless you've been a parent. And I know that they don't really mean that. I know that 30 minutes from now, we're going to be reading stories and snuggled in a chair, and I've got my arm around them, and everything's good. So, take that times infinity because God's love is infinitely greater than my love, but it's a picture. And, and I, don't want, I don't want my kids to censor any part of their relationship. I want to be in relationship with them. It's not about molding them into only saying nice things to me. It's about being in relationship with them. And so God understands when we say the wrong thing. I'm convinced of that. And I think he welcomes our pre-reflective outbursts. They're safe with him. That when we're overwhelmed with emotion, when we're overwhelmed with pain, when we're overwhelmed with sorrow or suffering, he welcomes that and wants to be in relationship in the midst of that, for to be honest with him about the way that we feel. He can handle our desperation. And you can trust him. You can trust him not to zap you. You can trust him not to walk away from you. He stays in relationship with you. So first... We pray our tears in a realization of his grace. Second, we pray our tears with a vision of the cross. Now, for those of you that are in the room, you can see this beautiful cross that is hanging from the ceiling. And I have a habit of walking through this sanctuary and praying over the seats and praying up and down through the aisles. And often, as music is playing or something, I'll come around one of the back corners and my eyes will get fixed on that cross. And we need to learn to pray our tears with a vision of the cross, front and center. Because we have, in Christianity, we have the only God who has embodied the level of grief and suffering that Jesus embodied on our behalf. 
No other religion in the world, no other worldview has a cross at the very center, an instrument of pain and suffering and death. And so when we pray our tears, we pray with a vision of the cross. Because when Jesus was in Gethsemane, he looks to God in that moment, having only ever known unbroken and perfect love and community and fellowship with God. And he begs God, if there's any way that this can pass, let it pass. And he gets silence in return. For the first time, there is a level of grief and there is a level of suffering and there is a level of pain and abandonment and and rejection and shame that we can't even imagine. And he took that for us. And that's why he cried out on the cross, the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment of desperation when heaven looked away and he was completely alone, we will never know this degree of anguish. We will never know what that was like because we don't know the perfect unbroken fellowship that he preceded it in eternity and that follows it in eternity and how sharp that pain must have been for him. He got the abandonment that we deserved even though he was perfect and he experienced the death that we should have died. And so we pray our tears Because on the cross, we see the miraculous miracle that turns our weeping into joy. It's beyond our ability to comprehend. We we try to get our minds around it. We try. But whenever we feel like we're getting our grips on it, we've reduced it. It's beyond our comprehension. The way that God loves us and the, the lengths to which Jesus went. And so we pray our tears with a vision of the cross because when we see Jesus on the cross, we can't say, why me? Right? We can't say, why me? His tears brought about our joy and our welcome into the family of God. And so we take our tears and we weep them with a vision of the cross, not including any guilt or shame. We do this. We pray our tears without guilt or shame because we look at the cross and there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no guilt. There's no shame. We take our tears and we weep them in the light of the cross without fear of rejection. Because Jesus promised us in John 1, in John 1, 12, it tells us, it promises us that to whoever believed in him, whoever received him and believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. There's no rejection. We weep our tears in the vision of the cross without the fear of abandonment. Because he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I am with you even to the very end of the age. You will never experience the abandonment that Jesus experienced on your behalf. And when we pray our tears with a vision of the cross, it reminds us of that truth. We pray our tears and we weep them in the light of the cross without self-pity. Because there's no self to pity in the light of the cross. We say, as Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Where in that wonderful, marvelous verse is there room for self-pity? There isn't. When we pray our tears in the light of the cross, in a vision of the cross, 
We pray them without self-pity because we look and we see Christ on the cross on our behalf taking our place and we pray those tears without impatience with a recognition and an understanding that it may take longer to see our deliverance than we expect, but we pray those tears without impatience because we are choosing to run with perseverance the race marked out for us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shames, now seated at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such treatment from sinful men that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now, these verses aren't in my notes. They're in my heart. You've got to get the word in your heart. If you don't have a list of verses that you can go to when you're struggling that keep your eyes fixed on the cross, then you need to commit some to memory. You need to make a list. This might be a good list to start with. As you weep your tears, as you pray your tears with a vision of the cross, these can be helpful. If you're watching online, share some of your favorites with other people. Make this a little Bible study this afternoon or tomorrow morning that you get this back out and you look at these and you jot down some other scriptures that maybe came to your mind. These are just the ones that came to mind. But we pray our tears and we pray them with a vision of the cross, so that 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 would be true for us. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is eternal, but what is unseen, I'm sorry, What is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Don't lose heart as you weep your tears. Don't lose heart as you pray your tears with a realization of his grace and a vision of the cross. And finally, we pray our tears in an assurance of his glory, an assurance of his glory. We've been studying Psalm 126 the last couple of weeks. And verse 5 and 6 are so powerful in this. It says, those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. The key word there is will. It's not might. It's not could. It's not 99.99% of the time. It's a will. It's a promise. Do you know the promises of God for those who are suffering, for those who are grieving, for those who are weeping? If we learn to weep well, if we learn to expect and to invest and to pray our tears well, we have a promise that we will return with songs of joy. And even in the psalm that we're looking at uh, at the beginning of the service, 39, Psalm 39, 12 and 13, that's not the end of the story. I'm seeing great intentionality on this current trip through the Psalms. I'm seeing great intentionality in the order and placement of them. I saw it in between 103, 104, 105 as I was reading this week in my Banding Together journal. And I see it right here, Psalm 39, 12 and 13. Verse 13 is not the end of the story. Look at Psalm 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me. He heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. 
That's good news. Here you have David. These are two Psalms of David. At the end of Psalm 39, he's saying, depart from me, God. Look away from me. And then in verse for Psalm 40, he gives his testimony of waiting patiently for the Lord. That God turns to him, heard his cry, lifted him out of the slimy pit. And if you've been in deep depression, if you've been in deep grief, you know it feels like a pit that you're never going to get out of. And yet he reaches down and he lifts us out of that mud and that mire. He sets our feet on a rock, gives us a firm place to stand, and he doesn't stop there. He puts a new song, a song of newness, a song of celebration, a song of joy into our hearts, into our mouths, a hymn of praise to our God that many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Did you know that the last five psalms are all psalms of praise? They all begin with praise the Lord. 146, 147, 148, 149, 150. It was a hymn book. And the two before that are pretty positive as well, but the three right before that are psalms of lament. And so it's like it's making this point that this is our bottom line, that all prayer pursued long enough and far enough becomes praise. That if we pray long enough, if we pray hard enough, if we pray and stay in relationship with God and get a godly perspective on our grief and on our suffering, all prayer pursued long enough and far enough becomes praise. We see it in the Psalms themselves, that the last five are all about praise. Read Psalm 146 through 150 today. You will be blessed. It takes praising God and celebrating God and His goodness from so many different angles. Just in those last five, it was like they understood something. They had a realization. They had an awareness that if we stay in relationship with God, all our prayers, all our sorrows, all our suffering turns to joy. And when we weep and we grieve and we haven't learned to lament and we don't weep well, we might believe the lie that our Our grief will never end, that it's the new normal and it's not going to change. And that's not the truth. Because if you know your sorrow will turn to joy as his word promises, then you're freed from the fear that it's never going to change. And you can weep well. And you can learn to lament. And you might need some help. You might need some help. We have a grief share ministry that helps people through those deepest, darkest days of grief. If you've experienced loss, it doesn't have to be recently. It just has to be loss that you could use some healing from. Then Grief Share is for you. We'll be starting up next Monday. So if that describes you or someone you know, encourage them, invite them. You can sign up online for Grief Share. There was also a handout last week that has the Psalms of Lament listed, that you can take these Psalms and write them out and pray these Psalms and personalize these Psalms and share these Psalms or talk about these Psalms with other people and and they will help you to learn to weep well and to do that with a realization of His grace, with a vision of the cross and with an assurance of His glory because all prayer pursued long enough and far enough becomes praise. That's our mission here at Linwood, to reach people for Christ with the good news that grief, you can come through grief. And you can grow in grace. And you can learn to weep well. And you can learn to lament. And you can turn your sorrow into joy. And you can have a ministry of helping other people turn their sorrow into joy. And you can declare 
the praises of him. God will put a new song in your mouth, a hymn of praise to our God, that many will see and fear and turn and put their trust in the Lord. When we get this right, then we become a witness to help other people along the journey, along the way. And so that's my hope and my prayer for us today. Would you bow with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the way in which you have been present among us today, the way in which you have shown us how to weep well, that you have invited us to pray our tears with a realization of your grace, with a vision of the cross, with an assurance of your glory. Help us, God. Help us. Comfort us. Unite us with others who are strong so that they can help us. Or if we are strong, help us to come alongside those who are struggling. Because you have promised, Lord, you will never leave us or forsake us. You are with us. You invite us into your presence. We thank you and praise you. And we worship you today. In Jesus' name we pray.